This is uh, a series on uh, what your faith sounds like. And uh, last week we began with the blues. Brian and the band did a terrific job on the blues. Today it is jazz. I fell in love with jazz when I was 14. I grew up in northwest North Dakota. My folks went to Los Angeles to see my mom's sister. And we had some other relatives there. We went to their house. And while we were there, their son, who was in his 20s, took an album. That was before CDs. Took an album, now called vinyl. I'm contemporary. Uh, took an album out and put on a jazz recording. I had never heard anything like that. Remember, Northwest North Dakota. <laughs> Not the hotbed of... Uh, and from then on, I thought, I love this music. And uh, I've heard Count Basie himself and his orchestra. Marcy and I were at a blues and jazz festival in Portland and heard Etta James sing at last. I've been to a club in Chicago where Charlie Parker used to play. But one of the reasons I love jazz is that the Lord, Lord himself used it just to bless me when I... When I headed over to England to study at Birmingham, Birmingham uh, the, first, the first day I was there, I was so incredibly homesick. And uh, I walked into the library, and there was a big bulletin board. And on the bulletin board, it said, at Symphony Hall tonight, Wynton Marcellus, the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, and the London Philharmonic, playing Wynton Marcellus's new jazz symphony. I couldn't believe it. I thought, I bet there's no tickets. But there was. And you know, I was a student, so it was three pounds, which is like five dollars. I should have stayed in school. It was just it was terrific. And I went down, and it was like God saying to me, I know, I know you're away from home and away from the people you love, but I have you in mind and so that was my first night in Birmingham, England, as I got ready to study. So the band's going to do something for us, and then we're going to dig a little, dig into jazz. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by. You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life For me, yeah It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life for me Ooh. And I'm feeling good In the sea, you know how I feel. River running free, you know how I feel. Blossom on the tree, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. And I'm feeling. 
Hey, thank you. One of the uh, signal characteristics of jazz is improvisation. Improvisation means that you're composing on the spot. And there are a lot of times in life when you and I find ourselves in need of the ability to compose on the spot. Now we're Westerners, meaning, meaning we come from a Western culture. And we like linear thinking, and we like sermons like six steps to. Now I was teasing our uh, Chris Stuckey, who's our uh, leader of base camp. Um, I don't think she gets to six. So we were talking about getting something done on the lead team, and she says, well, it sounds to me like all we got to do is this. So she's like a one-stepper. So you might be sitting by a one-stepper. I thought there were 33 steps to that, achieving that. She, she got to one. But we like linear thinking. We like to put things in order, and it, it just makes sense to us. But we get into places in life where we have to say to ourselves, maybe to others, and maybe to God, I've never been here before. That's what we're going to look, look at. The art of improvisation when, we're, when we find ourselves in a place and we say, I've never been here before. First, a scripture verse from uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So you know I'll find our place, find ourselves in places we've never been before. One of my favorite books is Tuesdays with Maury, a sports writer finding out that one of his college professors was terminally ill, began to go up every Tuesday and visit with him. Out of that series of conversations, the sports writer wrote a book, Tuesdays with Maury. Maury talks about the day he came out of the doctor's office and stepped out on the street and looked around and everything was going on as normal and he wanted to scream and say, don't you know what just happened? I've never been here before. My brother and his wife had a small baby boy. He had a genital heart defect. They immediately put him on a plane and flew him to the children's hospital in Seattle. When they got there, they asked the doctor, what are his chances of living? And they said, we don't know. Almost no baby with this problem even makes it here. I've never been here before. A politician, some years ago, while his wife was in the hospital, had divorce papers delivered to her. She must have said, I've, I've never been here before. I'm 65, almost and a half. I can guarantee you, I've never been here before. It's a, it's a new place. I was once in an elevator with Dennis Kinlaw, the great Old Testament professor who was aging. We were talking about what we read, and he said, I'm careful what I read anymore because I hear the bells tolling. Now, some of you sit here don't even know there are bells. 
But I tell you, there are bells, and you, you start hearing them ring. My parents, in their mid-80s, my dad having lived in one place his entire 84 years, it's my job to sit down with them because of their health and say you're going to have to move off the farm place where your father homesteaded and move to a nursing home. And I'd never been that, in that place before. How do you communicate love and care and dignity when you're in that setting? It's not even likely that there's anybody in this room that has not been in a place they've never been before, but it is also not likely that there's nobody in this room who will not, still up ahead, find yourselves in a, in a place that you've never been before. And in that place, sometimes the way will be clear. And in that place, sometimes it will not be clear. And you will have to improvise you will have to compose on the spot. Wynton Marcellus gives us some insight about how jazz improvisation goes, and we'll find that that's actually in line with Scripture. So let's have a look at those. Number one, if you're going to know that somewhere in your life you're going to have, an imp have to improvise, it's best before that ever happens that you have built a solid foundation in your life. Now, I have, a, I have a grandson named Camden, and he's two. And when he comes to our house, they live in China, and when they come for the summer, and he comes over to our house, he likes to bang on the piano. And he loves that sound, but I'll guarantee you, he's not improvising. Because improvising is based on a solid footing of the principles of music. And the people who can improvise in music are people who have an, en an enormous grasp of how music works and how it functions. And not everybody, even who's good at music, can do it. My son and his wife are music teachers in Beijing, China. And my son loves to improvise. He teaches jazz. He plays on a jazz band. His wife is a consummate piano player. And she cannot improvise. She just freezes up. If you and I are going to improvise, we have to have a solid foundation. Jesus was talking about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." Now, for a believer, there are three great stones, foundation stones you want to build your life on. So that when the day of improvisation comes, when the day comes when you stand in a place and you say, I have never been here before. By the way, those places are not all negative. Some of them are very positive. You stand 
the front of a church or a building and you get married. And however, however much you've watched somebody else, when you go through it, you've now entered into a relationship and you say, you know, I've never been here before. When you have that first child, I've never been here before. So even in the most positive areas of life, there are new and challenging things. There are three stones. Number one, the inspired Word of God. The Bible says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. If you want to prepare yourself for what's coming in your life, build your life upon the Word of God. Immerse yourself in it. Learn to navigate it. Learn not just what it says, but how it feels and works in your life. Let it live around you, and you live around it, and it becomes a stable place for you. It helps you develop muscle memory, so that when you're in a place you've never been, there are some reflexes that are natural because you've given yourself to the Word of God, and you know how certain things function in His kingdom. Second, learn to live with Jesus. Francis Schaeffer was a great apostle to the university students in the 70s and 80s. He wrote many books. But in one of his books he said, this, thing, this is the thing I learned, that everything rests upon the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work upon the cross. When you're in that place where you have no landmarks, you want to know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a third. It's the community of faith. The Bible said a strand, a cord of two strands is stronger than a cord of one. And a cord of three strands is stronger than the cord of two. And you live, you know that when you live, you were designed not to live as an island unto yourself. That there are a network of people who are not just people. The Bible says that they are actually the face of God. The church is called the body of Christ. It's not just people. They, they become God with skin on to me in the midst of the dark places in my life. And so I build on those. Now I want to take you into what I'd call the, the great hall of fame. I've just finished reading three books about three people. Everyone, God took them to a place they'd never been. And everyone, because of the foundation they had, navigated it wisely. The first is Hudson Taylor, a missionary who led the work into inland China, the very first missionary to begin work in the inland part of China. At one point, he had nearly 2,000 preaching stations all over inland China, facing things that nobody else had faced, enormous opposition within the culture, enormous opposition from his own country. He was English, and he decided to wear the garb of the, of the Chinese. And the English forgot what was the gospel and what was not, 
And so they started criticizing him because he wasn't dressing like an Englishman. He was dressing like a Chinese. And there were the financial worries. At one point, he was in his office with an aide. He just got news that one of his preaching points had been burned down. And he started to hum a hymn. And his aide said, how in the world can you stand there and hum with this kind of news? And Hudson Taylor said, what would you have me do? I can do nothing about that preaching station that burned down, but I have God's work in front of me, so I must just roll my concern over to him and continue to do what he's given me to do that is in front of me. Second, Amy Carmichael. And by the way, Hudson Taylor was sick all of his life. Battled illness constantly. Amy Carmichael, she wanted to be an itinerant, traveling missionary evangelist. And then the Lord stuck her in one place. She had no idea what he was up to. It was a new idea and a new place. But 30 miles north of the southern tip of India, she discovered that by the hundreds, young children were being sold into slavery and prostitution to the temples of Hinduism. And she was gripped by that need. And she built an orphanage for those kids that totaled at one time 900 children. She spent the last 15 years of her life as an invalid from a falling accident. Most of those 15 years in bed, leading an orphanage of 900 children, saving them from that wretched life. The third was George Mueller, a businessman who lived in Bristol, England, and saw the scourge of England where laws made it impossible for orphans to live, and so they were by the thousands begging on the streets. And he decided this can't be right. And so he started an orphanage, first for a few, and then for 30, and then through 40. Eventually, he had five buildings and 2,000 orphans. Clean, well-fed, educated, given apprentice jobs so that they had income. When he was young, he was in such mental distress that for months he feared he was going to go insane. A place he'd never been before. But in every case, their faith in the Lord in the midst of the unknown held them steady. A solid foundation. Let's look at the second one. By the way, a solid foundation, Winton Marcellus said that imitation is one of the first steps of improvisation. So you look at how Hudson Taylor faced the unknown, how Amy Carmichael faced the unknown, how George Mueller faced the unknown when they said, we've never been here before. Imitation. Number two, different every time. One of the characteristics of improvisation is that the, the artist, every time he plays or she plays a particular song, they have sheet music and then they have places for improvisation and the solo artist takes off and they may well never play it exactly the same every time. And you know God's like that? Dad liked to be able to say, well, this is how he did it last time. So I think he'll do it this, that way this time. But in fact, he doesn't. 
Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they can't find water. And so God comes and says to Moses, Moses, go out there and strike that rock. And water will flow. So Moses goes out and he strikes the rock and water comes. In Numbers chapter 20, same problem. A lot of people, no water. Moses, I want you to go out and speak to that rock. And water will flow. But you know, Moses was angry. To these, about these ungrateful Israelites. And he went out and he struck the rock twice. And the Bible says water came, but the Lord came to Moses and said, you will not enter the promised land. Now you, you, you and I think that's harsh. But God was setting up an illustration, which was that Jesus Christ is smitten on the cross and because his death on the cross, we now can talk to him. And he will be waters living, uh, he'll be streams of living waters to us. Moses had ruined that illustration. God doesn't deal with us all the time in the same way. Wynton Marcellus says, use whatever you have and make it up. <laughs> now that doesn't sound like an orderly process of discipleship. If you ask me. Use whatever you have and make it up. He's not saying all of life is like that. But he is saying some of life is like that. But there are times in life. You've never been that way before. And you have to make it up. Nehemiah was like that. He was the cupbearer to the king in Babylon. And then word came. That the Israelites. the Judah back in. Exiled and now back in Jerusalem were in great disarray and humiliation. The walls had been broken down. They were vulnerable to any attack. The Bible says when Nehemiah heard this, he wept. And then he tried to purpose what to do. He allowed himself to, be, to appear unhappy in the presence of the king, which was a dangerous thing. The king says, what's wrong? He told him what was wrong. He said, well, what would you like to do? He said, I'd like to go back and rebuild the wall. How are you going to do that? Well, I need some, I need some documents to, for, for passage through di different countries. I need a document so I can use some of the wood from the king's forests. And he went back. And everything went wrong. He faced opposition. Good principle for all of us. Not everybody's going to be ex excited about your success. Sometimes it won't be, it'll, and, and, and what's particularly disturbing is sometimes it's the people you don't want it to be. He had opposition from outside that was threatening him. Sometimes the threat was so great, he told the people they had to build the wall with their armaments near them. People on the inside, they got into a fight because some of the common people didn't think the noblemen were doing, doing their share of the work. He was distracted. They tried to distract him. Says, come down for some meetings. He says, I cannot come down from the wall. Every time he turned around, he was having to improvise. Come up with a solution. There's a third thing about improv improvisation. It comes from within, not without. Witten Marcellus said, put your feeling and personality into it. 
Put your feeling and personality into it. So David is at war with Saul the king. He goes on the run. He's got 600 men. He decides the only place safe to live is with the Philistines, who are the enemies of Israel. And so he's living with the Philistines. They're going to go into a big battle, and some of the generals don't like it that David is an Israelite. They tell him to go home. They go back to Ziglag, and there they find that the Amalekites, while they were gone, came into the city, burned it to the ground, and took all the wives, all their wives and children. And when that happened, Scripture says, all the men wept. And when they couldn't weep anymore, they started talking about stoning David. Now these guys had been together for a long time, but they started talking about stoning David. And what, did, what was David going to do? He had to look within in his own relationship with the Lord. The Bible says he got away and catch this phrase, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. So when you and I get into a place where we've never been before, we encourage ourselves in the Lord, ourselves in the Lord. Then he asked the Lord, what should he do? And the Lord said, pursue him. And so he followed them and they got their wives and all of their children back comes from without, within, not without. Now why does some of this matter? Again, because you and I are going to be in places where we say, I've never been here before. And when we get to that place, sometimes the way will be clear and sometimes it will not. And when it is not, you'll feel fear that you're going to do it wrong. I say that again to you? You'll feel fear that you're going to do it wrong. But you know what I think? I think if I ask God to show me and he doesn't say anything, then I'm just going to do what, what, what seems best in my heart before the Lord. Because God can easily make himself understood. Second, secondly, the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And when you get into that place where you've never been and sometimes that place is dark, Satan will come to you and tell you it's something about you. That's why you're in that place. And Satan will accuse you. And you know why that works? Because he's always partly right. There is something about us, all of us, all the time. But God has a relationship with us. And so when Satan comes and accuses us, we need to know the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans for you. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. So when you find yourself in a place where you've never been before and you think, what do I do? If you're wise, you already 
have been building a life on the word of God, a relationship with Jesus, and around the community of faith. And you know that God may ask you to function differently today than he did yesterday. And you rest on that relationship you have with the Lord even if you're in a place of darkness in your life. Let's just set our things aside and finish up today. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? With an audience of this size, it is absolutely certain that there are many of us here who are in a place we've never been before. We may feel like we're floundering because the way is not clear. We're not exactly sure what to do next. But the Lord wants to tell you, I know the plans I have for you. And they're plans to prosper you not to harm you. Their plans to give you a hope and a future. Right now where you're seated and our heads are bowed in prayer, you could say, Lord, you know that thing that I'm dealing with? You know this place that I'm in? A place I've never been before? And the way doesn't seem clear to me. The Lord invites you, as he did Hudson Taylor, to roll that over upon him and trust in his promise that his plans for you are to prosper you and not to harm you. Don't be intimidated by your fear. Don't be intimidated by the dark. Just because you can't see the landmarks today doesn't mean they're not still there. Right where you're at, just pray a prayer about that place that you find yourself. Roll it over to the Lord. Trust in Him through this season. We're going to wait for a bit while you pray. Father, thank you for your kindness and the assurance that you're with us even in those places where we've never been. We often have faith that seems very logical and orderly, but when we find ourselves in a place that needs improvisation, give us the faith to step forward. In Jesus' name, amen.